Good evening. Have your Bibles turned with us to uh, Romans chapter number three. Appreciate the opportunity to come out and be here tonight. Thankful for all of you. Uh, we'll uh, we'll start tonight, and we'll just go all the way. Th- we'll read all the way through the third chapter of the book of Romans, and then uh, we'll uh, circle back to the beginning and uh, start working our way through this. Romans chapter number three, verse number one. What advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of uncircumcision? Much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid, yea, let God be true, but let every man be a liar, as it is written, that thou mayest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. But if our unrighteousness uh, commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. God forbid. For then how shall uh, God judge the world? For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto this glory, why why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not rather, as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. <clears throat> what then? Are we better than they? No, and no wise, for we uh, have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all... They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulchre, and their tongues they have, and with their tongues they have used deceit. Uh, the poison of asps is under their lips, <clears throat> whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and that all the world may, be, may become guilty before God. Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be uh, just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? 
yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing there is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. And that's correctly reading the third chapter of the book of Romans. And like a, uh, As we get into this tonight, we'll say this, and uh, it, it's kind of hard to pick up where we are without recapping just briefly uh, what we've talked about the last uh, several weeks. But uh, uh, the, the biggest and the most important thing you can do uh, when studying the Word of God is not to read uh, things in isolation. If you read them in isolation, they tend to take on a different meaning. Uh, so uh, we've uh, basically established in Romans chapter 1, we get to a place where uh, he's talking about that uh, the world is uh, unrighteous, but yet God has been revealed. He tells us the circumstances about how a man, when he goes after his own lust, when he, uh, when he rejects the truth and unrighteousness, that God will turn him over. Uh, to do as he pleases and to a reprobate mind, the Bible tells us. We get into chapter 2 and we kind of circle back around. It starts to draw the contrast between the Jew and the Gentile. And we get down to the place where the scripture has, has told us specifically, it said that you had the law and yet you're sinners. The Gentiles didn't have a law, but the law that they had was a law unto themselves for it was written on their heart. And they are sinners. So chapter 1 and chapter 2, we get to a place over here uh, where we start to really understand and we start to really grasp that Paul is laying a road where he is describing uh, the unrighteousness of man. And I want to say this, that the grace of God is not a man-centered theology. Theology, it is a Christ-centered theology. And through the Lord Jesus Christ is whom we have our redemption. It's never through us or by us. And we're going to tread some deep water tonight, I'll say that. Uh, and we'll probably, more than likely, we'll not get through the third chapter. But uh, we want to uh, focus uh, on the first few verses of chapter 3 right here uh, before we really focus on the latter half. Uh, but as we, as we get through this, uh, and like I said, uh, we, we've come to this crossroads where all men are sinful. The Bible concludes when we finish up chapter 2 and 28 and 29, which are important verses for context for the rest of the book of Romans. He said, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is, uh, uh, is that of the heart in the spirit, not of the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. He's emphasizing the point right here that we all need to realize. Uh, the Bible has told us that we are all under sin if we live by the merits and the rule and the reign of the law. We're all sinners. And that's the point that Paul is trying to drive home when he is talking uh, to the early church at Rome when he's writing specifically to the Jewish people. He's telling them, he's saying, uh, listen, just because you are Jew, because you are a national Israelite, does not give you privilege into God's righteousness. And he's fixing to talk about that just a little bit more. And so when we get through that, he, he tells them, he says, uh, listen, he's not a Jew, which is one that was outward in the flesh. Not, it's not national born, has no affiliation with nationality. But we are going to talk about this for just a minute. But the Bible says, 
uh, that it is them that, uh, that the circumcision transpires and takes place inward. Uh, listen, not on the flesh, but in the heart. So this is, uh, he's beginning to lay down the law of the New Testament, the new covenant, which is Jesus Christ. So then he picks up in verse number, or in chapter number three and verse number one, and we need to pay attention to this too as well. Uh, the chapters and the verses are not inspired. Okay? And it's okay to say that. Uh, Paul wrote this book. He wrote it in, uh, and when he wrote it in Greek, when the translators translated from the Greek and the Aramaic and the Latin translated it over into language, uh, into English. They, uh, they assigned chapters and verses to help in the aid of reading. Uh, so uh, you got to remember that uh, this is one continuous letter. There's not in breaks where we put breaks. So listen, the Bible says, what advantage, what advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of uncircumcision? So he now begins to ask the question specifically. He said, well, uh, listen, if, uh, if we're a Jew and you're telling us that, uh, that it doesn't matter if we're a national-born Jew, then what advantage is it to us? And the Bible says that Paul picks up in, in verse number two, and he says, much in every way. Uh, listen, and now I want to talk about this for just a few minutes and we'll get on with the reading. Uh, now listen, God elected a lady and her name was Israel. Uh, and we'll get into this more when we start to cover uh, in the 8th and the ninth chapter of the book of Romans when we get into uh, the two nations that are represented when we talk about, uh, 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 when we talk about Jacob and Esau. Those are representative of two nations. Those are repre representations of Israel and Edom. And Israel is the elect lady by which God laid his hand on. He called Abraham out of Ur of Chaldees, out of the midst of nothing. See, we've got to understand something, friends, today. Listen, God called the Jewish people as a vehicle in which the gospel would come to the rest of the world. Listen, he didn't, he didn't call the, the Jewish nation, uh, listen, at the exclusion of all the other nations. He identified and he called the Jewish nation so he could save the other nations. And that's an important part that's often overlooked. But then Paul gets down to this point. He's, uh, uh, and if you read over in the 8th and the ninth chapter of the book of Romans, you'll find where he said, not all Israel are of Israel. And this is what he's specifically talking about. Because this is a new doctrine, a new testament, a new covenant. And he says, listen, it's not because of your nationality. Uh, and we can apply that in our context today. It doesn't matter if your mama, uh, listen, uh, is a, a wonderful, outstanding, upstanding member of the community, prominent in the church. It does not matter if your daddy is a pastor, if your grandfather does not matter your heritage nor your lineage. The only thing that matters that Jesus reiterates time and time again is that you have believed upon the only begotten Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. It does not matter nationality, height, nor depth, nor color. None of these things are differentiating factors. What matters is that you've been washed in the blood of Jesus. That's the only thing that matters. 
So listen, as we get into this, he says much in every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. What is he specifically talking about? What are the oracles of God? The oracles of God are the Ten Commandments. Uh, listen, and not only the commandments, but all the other Levitical laws that were handed down when you read in the first five books of the Bible. Once you get past Genesis, uh, listen, you get into Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, uh, you'll understand there where God handed down laws. These were the oracles of God. And listen, we need to pay attention to this because, uh, listen, when God gave his law, we need to understand that God's law is perfect. It is righteous. It is good. It is holy. It is grace. But that's, this is what Paul is leading up to. He said, this is the glory of God. Uh, but listen, I want you to know one thing. Listen, you have been tried, tested, and examined. Uh, listen, you are an utter and miserable failure. Uh, listen, in comparison to the law. You can't do these things. So he begins to tell them. And he's trying to get them to a place of unbelief because we, we have to understand, we're talking about, listen, 4,000 years before this, listen, is when Abraham came on the scene. 2,000 years after that is when Moses handed the law. We're talking about a lineage of 2,000 years where they were known as God's elect lady. They were God's chosen people. They had their ordinances. They believed that they were preferred above all others but yet they really did not understand. Because they were, uh, listen, they had the oracles. What were, what were the oracles? The oracles were the prophecies of the coming Messiah. And the Messiah was, a, was a, amongst them. He walked with them. He talked with them. He healed. He performed miracles. And yet they rejected him. It said for what if some did not believe, shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? And we got to read this whole passage right here to get what he's talking about. He says, God forbid, yea, let God be true, but let every man, uh, but every man a liar. And I want to stop right there and just say something, friends. Listen, truth is never contingent upon belief. Did you hear what I said? Truth is never contingent upon belief. The truth is always the truth. A lot of people have always said, well, the Word says it, I believe it, therefore it's true. That's a lie. The Word says it, it's true, and it doesn't matter if you believe it. Listen, our belief upon the Word of God does not leverage any kind of truth to the Word of God. It's always true. That's like taking a ruler to the first king who established the first foot and you lay a ruler down beside the king's foot and you say, well, your foot's not a foot. Listen, you know what you do then? Uh, you don't tell the, the king that we're changing what the measurement of a foot is. You change the ruler. Amen? Because he is the standard. We need to understand that the word of God is truth. It is the standard. Amos told us this in the eighth chapter. He said that the word was the plumb line. If you've ever had any kind of construction experience whatsoever, if you ever laid a roll of block, if you've ever framed a wall, if you've ever dug a foot, and if you've ever done anything, friends, listen, you hang a plumb line, you never bend the string to what you're doing. You're going to wind up in a mess. So friends, but that's where we've come to today. We've taken the word of God. We said, well, we don't want to be that. We don't want to live like that. And we don't want the, we don't want the, the word of God to lord and rule over us. So we're just going to change it to conform to what we are. And this is what the Jews were doing. 
He said, God forbid, yea, let God be truth, but every man a liar, as it is written that uh, thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. But if unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what, what, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. He said, God forbid. For then how uh, shall God judge the world? So listen, uh, let me finish reading. It says, For uh, if the truth of God hath more abounded through my line to this glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not rather, as we be slanderously reported, as some affirm that we should say, let us do evil, that good may come, whose damnation is just. So listen, I know that that's hard to read, and I get that. But listen, what they're, what they're contending with Paul back here and saying, they're saying that we are the Jews. We, are, we have and harness the oracles of God. We are God's elect people. We are God's chosen. And listen, it does not matter what we do. God has preserved us. And that is true to a degree. But we need to go back and we need to read verse number three. It says, for uh, what if some did not Believe shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect. So he's driving a point home right here. He's telling them, listen, God is going to persevere the nation of Israel down through the history of time because God, listen, God has chosen these people. And I've said this, this is the vehicle that he's going to drive and he's going to drive this vehicle all the way to Calvary. And at Calvary, what he's going to do is he's going to take all things upon himself as we read in the past tense in Isaiah 53 and we see where our transgressions was put upon him. We see where our sin and our iniquities was laid upon him and when in doing those things that vehicle delivered him to the cross of Calvary whereby he had the ability because he is God incarnate the second person of the Trinity and he went to the cross of Calvary, he ransomed the world back to himself. He bought it back. He redeemed it. It is his. And the Bible says that's why he is righteous. Amen. God is always righteous. And these people, the Jewish people, he's trying to talk to them. He's trying to reiterate and tell them, say, listen, it's not, you can't just go out and sin because you're a Jew. I want to say this today. There's a lot of people in the church house, I believe this, that they take too much liberty in the grace of God. I, I just believe that. Amen. Listen, we, uh, we stand here and we say that we believe uh, all these doctrines and we hold on so tightly to these doctrines that, 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 that at the grip that we have on our doctrine, uh, listen, we just uh, we lay away from the Word of God. We don't want to hear what the Word of God says. We just want to hold on to our doctrine. Well, the preacher told me a long time ago that uh, once I was saved, then I'm always saved. And I'm not negating that fact. I'm not disargu I'm not. Uh, this is not even the place or time that I'm going to argue this tonight. But what I am saying is this. I dare question, and I preach this Sunday night, are you really saved at all? Because if you're saved, you are a new creation. Old things are passed away. And behold, I have made all things new. 
So friends, listen, I believe that friends, listen, there is a difference that comes upon a person. You say in preacher that they can never fall back into sin, that they can never stumble, that they can never backslide. Now, I'm not saying that. I never will say that because I, I listen, I, I won't be honest with you friends tonight. Listen, if you won't be honest with me, I'll be honest with you. I'm a habitual sinner. When I wake up every day, I, listen to me, I sin, I, listen, all through the day, but thank God Amen. Friends, listen, if we confess our sins, as he said in 1 John 1 and 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank God for the indwelling third person of the Holy Ghost that lives and reigns and rules and resides in us. As Paul wrote to us in the 8th chapter of the book of Romans, he said, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. You see, friends, listen, there's freedom in salvation. There is assurance in salvation. There is joy in salvation. There is grace in salvation. There is mercy in salvation. Uh, and above all, there is love in salvation. Friends, listen, and I believe that those fruits that Paul talks about in the book of Galatians, I believe that they'll follow those that have truly been born again. Now listen, I'm not going to spend a lot of time right here because I want to spend a lot of time on the next few verses. <coughs> it says then, What then are we better than they? No and no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. Now you remember what we talked about? Before we even started going through the third chapter, we, we tried to tell you what the first and the second chapter was. Amen. So when we get through the first and the second chapter, then we can understand verse 9 when he said, What then are we better than they? This is essentially this one verse right here is the conclusion of everything that he said to this point. He said, For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles, they are all under sin. You see, friends, listen, the gospel and the lordship of the salvation that we have is not man-centered theology. It is Christ-centered theology. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. We believe in the operative works of the Godhead. We believe in the Trinity. It's not about us. It's not about what we do. It's not about where we came from. It's not, it doesn't have anything to do with us. It's all about Jesus. And the time that we stop making it about Jesus and start making it about us is when we see the church go to disarray. Look around. Amen. Amen. Listen, we see hordes and hordes, manifolds of churches. Uh, today, listen, they're preaching prosperity. They're preaching economics. They're preaching uh, good works. They're preaching fruitfulness. They're preaching all these things. You know what all these things are? They are centered around man. And if we preach a gospel that's centered around man, then we are preaching uh, an apostate gospel. According to the word of God. Amen. The gospel is not about man. The gospel is about Jesus. That's why I've always said, uh, friends, listen, when, when Jesus went to the cross of Calvary, when he died, when he paid the ransom redeeming price for all of humanity and the world system as we know it, when he bought all things back on Calvary, he didn't save not one person. He made all men savable. Amen. 
when he bought the debt back, it made it possible to be saved. It made it possible to have everlasting and eternal life. So he says here, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And, I, and I'm going to spend some time on this. And you may say, well, <laughs> I don't know about anything else going on in the world or all the other doctrines that are associated with this verse. So listen, <clears throat> I, I'm going to, uh, I want you to be prepared for what is out there. And I'm not here tonight to specifically uh, teach against Calvinism. I'm not here. I, I've often said this through the years, and I believe this to be true. If we, if we stand up here in the pulpit and we try and preach or we teach as a rebuttal, then, I, listen, I, and I've done it before. Ashamedly, I'll admit that to you. I've done it before. But I'm glad as we grow in grace and knowledge, you know what, I'm not gonna surrender an hour of my time where I could be teaching about Jesus, amen, talking about something else that don't even matter, amen. I, I, I Listen, there was a preacher who said this one time, there was a young preacher, he got up and he wore everybody out for being gone up from church when it was hunting season and everything else and everything else that they was doing. And there was a man walked to him at the end of the service and he said, son, you do realize that everybody you're talking about is in the tree stand this morning. You understand what I'm talking about? Sometimes we expend all of our energy talking about people that ain't even here. <laughs> and listen, I, I'm, not, I'm not here to do that. I don't want to guilt somebody into anything. Amen. I want, I want people to be at the house of God because they want to be at the house of God. So listen, he said, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. Now there's a doctrine in a school of thought out there that tells us, uh, listen, they'll call this total depravity, or they will uh, more often assimilate it with total inability. Uh, and so what they believe is ontologically or phys physically born into this world because of the fall of Adam that we are incapable of seeking God. We've already talked about this one time before and, and when we talked over Romans chapter 5. But we're going to reiterate it again tonight and we'll talk about it again when we go through Romans 5. But friends, listen, you get to a point where you read on to the text all these things and, and you'd be surprised when you begin to read the Word of God all the baggage that we bring to the Word of God unknowingly. So friends, listen... We, we come right here and we say, well, there's none that understandeth, there's none that seeketh after God, and there's none that are righteous. No, not one. Friends, listen, and I don't want to say this. Uh, I can't pick up my cell phone tonight, and I cannot call the White House. And if I can call the White House, I promise you that I cannot get through to the president. You know why? Because he don't know me. He don't know me. He's not going to take my calls. He's not going to field my calls. Uh, listen, I may talk to somebody on his staff. I may be able to leave a message, but I'll never in and of myself be able to get through to the president. But I tell you what I can do. If the president calls me, 
I do have the ability to pick up my phone and talk. Amen. So you see, friends, listen, this is where we get so disrupted through the Word of God. We say, well, none can seek God. There's none righteous. There's none that, that doeth any of these things. Friend, listen to me. I, I would concur and I would agree with you. Listen, if we're trying to reach God by the works of the law, we'll never get there. But thank God He reached out for us. Because He's reached out for us, we can respond. Amen. That's what we talked about in, in the first chapter of the book of Romans in, in verse number 20 when it talks about, uh, listen, that all men are responsible. Friends, listen to me. What kind of cruel God would we serve if we were responsible for things that we had no control over? Amen. Responsible. The basic elementary meaning of the word means that we are response-able. We have the ability to respond. Listen to me. When we are born into this world. Now listen, I want to say this. When we are born into this world, we are born with a bend and an inclination towards sin because of the fall. Amen. Listen to me. We, we have a sinful characteristic, a sinful nature. That's the way we're born into this world because of the fall of Adam. But I want to say this, friends, tonight. Listen, I have inherited sin from my greatest father, Adam. But I'm going to tell you something. We, I do not, the Scripture does not teach any place, anywhere that we are guilty of Adam's sin. Because if we're guilty of Adam's sin, that means that we are unable to respond. If we're guilty, then we have an inability to respond to the call of God. And if we are unable and incapable, it prompts a doctrine and a theology that tells us this, that regeneration, or you have to be saved before you can have faith. And I, I don't want to confuse you by saying that tonight, but I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of people, they have built this systematic in their mind and that's what they think unknowingly. What are you talking about, preacher? How often and how many circumstances? Listen, I'm going to address the hard stuff tonight. Amen. We're going to wade deep in the pool. I want you to think about what I'm telling you. So friends, listen, there. I love Peg McCamey. She sings a song. I'm glad I got lost so I could get saved. The melody, the words, they're good. I understand what she's saying. But I want to bring it down to the church pew. Because I've heard it said for years and years and years and I can't find it in the Bible anywhere. You can't move, you can't do, you can't go until God, until God speaks and convicts and draws. Oh, we're waiting on God. Well, let me pose this question to you. And this is to make you think. If that person dies and goes to hell, because I've, we've already read in the Bible in Romans chapter 1 where the Bible says that all men are responsible. So uh, if a person sits in our congregation for the entirety of their lives and they sit back there and they say, well, God, the Spirit has never moved on me. 
Whose fault is that? In the way we think, whose fault is that? That's God's fault. Because God never moved him, we would say. Well, then we put all the blame back on God. When God is to be blameless, God is righteous, God is holy, God is free, God has spoke, God has revealed, God has drawn. A lot of people would even dare say that that man would go to heaven because he was never convicted. That's just not biblical. That's not in the Bible. That may be what you think, but it, I, I, listen, chapter and verse, please, I'm telling you, it's not in there because I've looked. What the Scripture tells us, and I want you to go with me now. I've got this marked, and, and I promise this is why I knew that we weren't going to get through the third chapter of Romans because I want you to go back with me to the sixth chapter of John. <clears throat> And while you're turning there, let's say this. Because you've heard me say this before, but I think there's a lot of people, they misunderstand me. They think I'm half lunatic and crazy. I promise you I'm not. But <clears throat> they don't change somebody's opinion. You, listen, there comes a place in a child's life when they mature to a point, when they realize they're accountable and when they realize that accountable age, how, preacher, how do we know what that age is? Well, we don't. We can't put a number on it. But we, we have some pretty strong biblical evidence that tells us when the Bible says that when Adam sinned in the garden, that he died. And because he died, he saw his nakedness and he covered himself because he was naked. So I want to say this to you, friends. Listen, when our children reach a point and they stop running all over the house naked after they get out of the shower, it's pretty good reasoning to point to the place where they're beginning to understand the difference between right and wrong. What does that mean? What does right and wrong mean? That means that they're re beginning to realize they're accountable. And when the Bible teaches us, when people reach an accountable age, and that's why you can't put your finger on it. You can't say it's a number. You can't say it's 8, 9, 10, 11, or 12. Listen, because there are some people that don't have the mental capacity. They may be 30 years old before they ever have the mental intellect of an 8-year-old. You know, that's why you, could that's why you should never put a number on it. Because it is different. I'm not saying that it's all the same. It is different. Because, friends, listen to me. But we need to realize and understand what you, when a person reaches that place where they're accountable, a man in right standing has all of his wits and all of his faculties. If he's 20 years old, he's old enough to go join the United States military. He's old enough to fight for our freedom overseas. He is old enough and he is accountable enough to be responsible for the gospel which Christ has given. It's at his feet to respond. Friends, listen, I, I want to challenge you on this because there's a lot of people say, well, we're waiting on the Lord. Well, what did Jesus mean on the cross of Calvary when he said, it is finished? 
Did he say, uh, did, he, did he really mean that it's finished, but I've got to do some more? No. He said it's finished. It's complete. So friends, listen, I'm glad that when we bring when we bring and raise our children up in the house of God and they're, they're raised under the drippings of the gospel, they're raised under the songs of Zion. When they reach that accountable age, I'm glad there's something inside of them that draws and compels them back to the Creator from whence they came. Friends, listen. Hey, listen, that's why we should raise our children, our families. That's why we should encourage our neighbors to raise their children under the true whole counsel and the teachings of the word of God. Now friends, listen, there's a lot of people who would say, and I would argue with you too, listen, the day I was eight years old, when I was sitting there beside my granddaddy, there was something tore me up on the instance inside and it was instantaneous. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, I was different than I was previously. Something instantly changed. That was when conviction finished. It didn't mean that God just convicted me at that one point. He'd been convicting me since I was a child. But it was at that point where my accountability, read, uh, listen, it met the gospel. And when my accountability met the gospel, there was a responsibility required. Conviction was finished and a response is demanded. Yes. And listen, I'm not trying to make light of this. I absolutely not, because listen, I, I never ever want to I never ever want to teach something that would discourage somebody from giving a testimony. I, listen, uh, uh, there's nothing drives me any more crazy than somebody to tell somebody that they're constantly doing something wrong. Amen. It's like I, I told you about the preacher. He said, I like the way I do it better than the way you don't. Amen. So friends, listen, if God's give you a testimony, give it. Amen. It don't have to be perfect. It don't have to be polished. Friends, just, just give it. Amen. However it happens, how you need to share it. I'm not going to be a discourager to anybody. Amen. But friends, listen, as we look over here uh, in, in the sixth chapter of the book of John, I, I just want to back up right here to verse number 38. Now listen, let's put in context what are we talking about? We're talking about how, uh, how a man can come, how a man is drawn, because 644 is thrown around recklessly. Verse 38, the Bible says, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. So this is Jesus talking. He said, I came down from heaven and he said, when I came down, I didn't come to do my will, but I came to do God the Father's will. In verse 39, he said, and this is the will, uh, and this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of, uh, of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. Now, what specifically is he talking about? There's a lot of people say, well, these are the people that God has selected and preordained before the foundation of the world. And the louder they say it, the truer they think it is. But what this is saying is, it's saying all that have came to the Father, I'm going to give them to the Son. Ain't that beautiful? He said all that hear and all that listen and all that respond down through the years and have responded to my Father, I'm giving them all to the Son. Not only am I giving them all to the Son, I haven't lost any of them. 
And, uh, uh, and to conclude that, he said, and I'll raise him up in the last day. In verse 40, the Bible said, and this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. Did you hear this? And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. You remember when Jesus told the Pharisees one time, he said, he said you can't see because you're blind. You can't hear because you're deaf. And they were standing right in front of him. You see, when you suppress the truth and you suppress the creation, you suppress God, when you start to suppress the truth and unrighteousness, you, uh, listen, you continually and back yourself into a state where you cause yourself to be callous. You cause yourself to be blind. You cause yourself to be uh, deaf. And you, you get to a point where you are completely in rejection of God. Theology calls those will setters. And I believe I talked about this last week. You know, God has given us free volitional choice to a limited capacity. We couldn't choose how tall we are, what color our hair is, what color our eyes are. We, getting, we did not get to choose our parents. We didn't get to choose where we were born. Listen, these are things that God destined in our lives. God placed us and put us here. And when God put us here, He give us, he give us a range of options that are compatible, compatible with our Imago Dei. It's our image of God because we're made in the image of God. He's given us options. Friends, listen, but every time we make a, a, a free volitional choice, we, uh, we, uh, we direct our lives in a new direction and that therein prompts a new set of choices. There's a lot of people who say, well, preacher, I don't believe that. Listen, you tell this to a man who's standing on the side of a cliff. He makes a choice of his own free will to jump off the cliff. Halfway down, he decides he didn't want to do that. You know what he's done? He set his will. He can't go back. He would like to. He may regret things, but he's made a choice. Listen, God has given him the liberty to make a choice in his life and he cannot correct the path. And therefore, God has, there's only, the, every, that's why it's so important that we make decisions prayerfully. Listen, when we make decisions carnally, we don't understand how we lay down the courses of our lives. But the Bible teaches us that there are, are, are places and points and times in our lives where we need to respond. We need to understand. David, I'll say this just quickly. Uh, in the book of Samuel over there, you'll find where uh, David had went down to the sons of Kalal. And the Bible tells us that he was, uh, when he was down there, uh, that he heard that Saul was coming to kill him. And he asked of God. He said, God, uh, he said, listen, if I stay here in the city and Saul comes down, will he kill me? And he said, yes, he'll kill you. So you know what David did? David left the city and the circumstance he proposed never happened. How is that possible? Because he saw the God that has all knowledge. 
Amen. And when we seek a God in our lives, it doesn't matter how little we believe or think it may be. When we seek a God in our lives and we ask direction from God, God will never lead us in the wrong direction. Listen, we'll work through this. Now, the Bible says, verse number two, uh, 42, uh, and they said, it's not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, has it then that he saith, I come down from heaven. Jesus therefore answered and said unto him, Murmur not against yourselves. No man can come, uh, uh, can come to me except the Father which hath sent him draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now there's a lot of people. We hear this quoted continually. No man can come to the Father unless the Father which sent him draw him. That, and listen, you know how that's translated and interpre- interpreted? Is you sit right there, you don't do a thing in the world, and when God draws you, then you can get saved. That's how it's taught, and that's how it's received. But now, is that what the Bible says? It says no man can come. Can come. I want you to hang on to those two words. Can come. What does that mean? If somebody has the ability, does that mean that they can or they cannot? Yes. Can come implies ability in this verse. It says, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him or enable him and I will raise him up at the last day. So friends, what does that mean? That means that there has to be a drawing that takes place, right? Uh, listen, uh, no, none of these people can come unless, unless the Father which sent the Son draw him. And there's so many people, they, they get this confused and they say, well, I've just got to sit here and I've got to wait. Well, let's flip, or let, let me read verse number 45. The Bible says, it is written in the prophets and they shall be taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father, what do they do? They come to me. Right? So this, this, is the, this is the way that God enables them and so that they can come to the Son. How do they do these things? Because they listen and learn from the Father. They respond. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me have everlasting life. Flip with me now to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse number 32. Jesus says these words. Or let's back up to verse number 30 just quickly. It says, Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now is the prince of this world cast out. And he said, And if I and if I be lifted up from the earth, he said, I will draw all men unto me. So listen, he told Nicodemus in the third chapter of John, he said, uh, as the serpent was raised in the wilderness, so also must the Son of Man. For whosoever believeth upon the Lord Jesus Christ shall not perish. Whoever, uh, whosoever believeth in the only begotten Son of God, they shall not perish, but they ha- shall have everlasting life. Verse, uh, chapter number six, he said, all that the Father has, he's given to the Son. Uh, listen, and then he goes on to say, he says, that they can come. They can come. 
When they're enabled of the Father to come to the Son, how are they enabled? Because they see, because they hear. And the Bible says in the 12th chapter of the book of John, He said, and if I be lifted up from the, uh, from the earth, He didn't say that I'm going to draw a few or a handful. He said all. I'm going to draw them all. Amen. Right, listen, then we go over right, to the 14th through the 16th chapters of the book of John. And the Bible tells us, Jesus said, he said he's, he's telling them uh, and prophesying to them of his death. He said, it's expedient that I go away. For if I go not away, then the comforter cannot come. But when he has come, he will reprove or convict the world of sin. How should I hear without a preacher? I'm going to tell you, that is the burden that's been laid at the feet of the man of God. It's not about you. It's not about how good you are. It's not about, I, I listen, it's not about all these individual specific things that we think and criteria that we feel that we have to meet. It's about study. It's about prayer. It's about seeking the will of God. So when you can get behind God's holy desk, you can do all that you can to surrender yourself to the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God can overtake the preacher and the call that has been, uh, listen, so impressed and emburdened and impregnated inside of you that can be overcome by the Spirit of God and you can preach Jesus and you can exalt Him as high as you can possibly get it. If, if the preachers today could get Jesus to the pinnacle of the sun, friends, and the Bible tells us they would all come. But they have to respond. They have to respond. Doesn't matter Listen to me, friends. I, I want to say this. I, listen, there uh, is a responsibility uh, upon the, the duties of the saved people. There's a responsibility been laid upon us to make sure that the gospel is communicated. I, I want to say this. The church house, I would love to see the church house full of tons and tons of lost people. I'd love to see them saved every Sunday. I, listen, I enjoy those things and thank God for those things. Wouldn't take anything for the things that I have seen in my life. But I do want to say this. The house of God, in most circumstances, you know what it's for? It's for the people of God. It's a sanctuary. It's a place that we can come. We can surrender all things that we have. All of our external circumstances. All of our burdens. All the things that wait. I, listen, I, that's why Jesus tells us in the book of Matthew. He said, come unto me all you that are heavy laden. Uh, labor and heavy laden. He said, I will give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Friends, listen to me. Thank God that there's nothing better in this whole entire world than to come into the house of God surrounded by people who love the Lord Jesus Christ. Right, listen, when you're at your deepest, darkest, lowest state and point of your life, I'm glad that we can find serenity, surrender. We can find help, peace, hope in the house of God. Amen. We can surrender our hearts through song and through praise. Amen. That's why I, hey, that's why it's okay every once in a while to shed a few tears. That's why it's okay to shout a little bit. That's why it's okay to lift our holy hands toward heaven and glorify the Creator and the Lord of all things because we can find serenity and perfect peace in His presence. We can rejoice in the Word of God. And there's a place of mercy down here where the Lord will meet us. We can cast our cares upon Him for He careth for us, says the Word of God.
Now listen, flip back with us just briefly, and, and I'll be done. I'm going to finish this up. <coughs> In verse number 10, it says, as it, is, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are uh, together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. I tell you what, friends, listen, you read those verses right there. And that wraps up the entirety of everything. Amen. If you thought there was something good about you, this is why Paul wrote this. Amen. <laughs> Listen, Paul in and of himself, he was not a good man. He was a despicable human being. He was a murderer. And that's why God called him. Amen. And not listen to me. He called him out of the muck, out of the mire. He called him out of the midst of his sin. Listen to me. He spun him around. You know that's what you know that that's what repentance means. That means a changing of the mind. Literally, when the Bible talks about repenting, that means to change your mind. He said, "Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus." So when we change our mind. We'll change the things we think about. We'll change the things that we do. We'll change the things we care about. Amen. I'll never forget when I first started preaching. I, I went to Annie Ruth's house one time and I told her, I said, uh, we called her Momsy. I said, Momsy, I'm having an awful time studying and reading the Bible. I said, I, I just feel like I don't get nothing out of it. I ain't reading it like I should. She said, just read it every day. I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, you want to, whether you feel like it or not. Reading. She said, do you eat every day? I said, yeah, I eat every day. I dry up and blow away. She said, the Word of God. She said, I'm going to tell you something. If you'll just read the Word of God, it'll feed you when you don't even know you're hungry. Amen? You just... Constantly, you consume it, and you consume it, and you consume it. And you know what? That, that's what I did. I read it even when I didn't want to read it. Amen. And I'll, I'll be the first one to confess. You know, I, I believe that's what something that's missing from the pulpit today is honesty. I'm not standing up here telling you that I'm better or more righteous than anybody in here. Listen, I'm a sorry, low-down rascal. God called me out of the midst and the mire of my sin. He set my feet on a rock, and I am where I am today by His grace solely. So friends, listen, I, I did that. I've done exactly what she said. I just read and I read. I read when I didn't feel like it. And all of a sudden I got down one day and I was tired and I was beat down and I got home. I listened, instead of grabbing the TV remote, I grabbed my Bible out of habit. Out of habit. If you'll make the Word of God a habit, it's something that you'll have to have. That's what's missing in the church, friends. Listen, we haven't made this a habit. Get addicted to the Word of God. Friends, listen. Listen, I'm not, tell, I'm not the preacher that's going to stand up here and tell you to go home, take a baseball bat, and bust your TVs out. I ain't doing it. You can do it if you want to. I don't ever tell anybody I told you to do it. <laughs> what I'm saying is, friends, listen. There is something about this that will change our lives. This Word of God, you know, this is a living document. They say the Constitution is a living document. And that's where they're oh so dreadfully wrong. It's just a document that we adopted in. Uh, it doesn't live. It doesn't change. But I'm glad, friends, listen, I'm glad I can read the same verse in the same time on different days. And the Spirit of God speaks through it in a new way. 
<coughs> their throat is an open sepulchre with their tongues. I'm going to try and finish this up and I'll be done. I promise five more minutes. <clears throat> with their tongues they've used deceit the poison of asp is on their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness their feet are swift to shed blood destruction and misery are their ways and the way of peace have they not known there is no fear of God before their eyes now we know that what things soever the law saith it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and that all the world may become guilty before God you see this is why the law came the law came to bring the revelation of sin. And when the revelation of sin is upon us, we realize our guilt. We realize our guilt, not Adam's guilt. Amen? I'm not guilty of Adam's sin. Let me tell you the implications of being guilty for Adam's sin. They are millions and millions and millions of aborted babies. And if we as humanity are guilty of Adam's sin, you know where those babies are? They're in hell which is absolutely atrocious thought, which goes against the character and the will of God. Amen. Uh, friends, listen, the Bible tells us in the book of Ezekiel that we are not responsible, nor are we guilty for our father's sin. We are guilty for our own sin. So as we ratify the work of Christ when we're saved, we've got to ratify the work of Adam when we realize we're accountable. Listen, that's what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 7. He said, I once was alive without the law, then the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. That's what happened to me that morning that I realized my standing with God. I became lost because the pursuant conviction and the drawing that had been upon me. I just realized it that day. And I tell you, there's a lot of people in this world. They have sat in church houses for years and years and years and years and years. They say that God has never spoke or they say that they can't respond. Let me tell you, I have not found that in the Word of God yet. It's not there. When a man seeks God, you know what God does? God sends him the means of the, of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ every time. Can't help but say it right here. You're going to laugh, I know. Philip and the eunuch. The eunuch was seeking. He sent him Philip. Cornelius was seeking. He sent him Peter. Amen. Every time that a man seeks God, God sends the gospel. Amen. If you pursue him, he will pursue you. Friends, listen to me. And I'm not saying that it's not an if then because he has pursued us. God has sought us. God has initiated his plan long before we ever thought or give credence. Listen, the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4, not that we love God, but that he first loved us. And gave his son to be a propitiation for our sin. God is always the initiator. God is always drawing. God is always convicting. It's that time of our lives when we realize our accountableness. When we realize conviction has come. And condemnation sets in. Then we have to respond. We're guilty of our sin. Not Adam's. Ours. If people go to hell today, they'll go to hell because they're guilty of their own sin. It said in verse number 20 right here, and I'm going to be done. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified. 
You cannot be found free. You cannot be pronounced innocent. We are guilty. We are guilty, guilty, guilty. And we are responsible. If you hear me say one thing tonight, I want you to hear me say this. It is not God's fault. Stop blaming him. Stop blaming him. Well, I can't because God. God has been pursuing us before He ever spoke this thing into existence. It's not His fault. Stop blaming Him. He's done all things to make all things ready, to make all things necessary. But it is up to you. It's up to you. You say, well, preacher, it sounds like you can say that you can get saved anytime you want to get saved. That's not what I said. If you think that's what I said, you didn't listen to what I said. If you think that's what I said, that's all you wanted to hear. I'll say that. What I'm telling you, friends, is there is a point in time when all things work together and man realizes what God has been doing the whole time. I didn't realize and understand this the day I got saved. You know what? Like I said last week, when Charles Sandley got emailed that question one time, he responded on the radio. They said, how shall I know what I should feel like when I'm saved? And Charles Stanley said, you feel like you're saved. Amen. That's how you feel. You feel saved. And you have to feel saved to know what feeling saved feels like. But that's the beauty and that's the glory of it. Thank God that he has made a way. Next week, uh, when we get through, started here in verse number 21, see, Paul's just told us how bad and awful and terrible the whole world is. And if, if the gospel ended in verse 20, you know what? We'd all be in hell. But we get to pick up in the grace and the beauty and the mercy and the righteousness of Christ next week. And he starts marching his way through about how we have victory in faith and the grace and the propitiatory sacrifice of, uh, that Christ has given to us. What a beautiful picture it is. As we stand to our feet tonight, Brother Kip, uh, if you would, just come on out and get a song for us.